the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I love this church. I really do. It's been a real joy just being partners with you in enlarging and growing the kingdom of God. And Morrison Hill is not a congregation of church attenders. This is a family of believers who are following the example of Christ and finding it greater to serve than to be served. It's been a thrill to me when I make phone calls and personal calls that I find that someone else from our congregation has already been there or contacted them, ministering to them uh, on God's behalf. And that thrills me to see people active like that. And like the Apostle Paul, I, I feel about this church like he did about the church in Philippi. And I want to read you his prayer because it's one that I've prayed many times as well. Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Our senior ministers had some excellent sermons about the church's responsibility to serve together and to function like a team and to function like a family. Uh, We're all serving in different ways, and at the same time, we're looking out for each other and encouraging each other. Paul also wrote in another prayer in Philippians, and I want to read this to you because this is a prayer that I think that our ministerial staff prays for this congregation. Paul wrote it this way, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is the best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, the day of Christ, I'm sure you understand, refers to the second coming of Christ, Even back then, Paul wanted the the church to be remembering. We don't know when he's coming. We need to be ready at all times. But people, it's drawing nearer and nearer each day that we live. And we don't have much time left to serve our Lord. We need to be living and serving with eternity in mind. Not so wrapped up in what's going on in this world, but remembering he's coming back and we need to be ready. We have to work for the night is coming when we can work no more. Do we understand the importance and the value of the works of service that God has created us to do? I want us to think more about that this sermon. It's a little bit different the way that we're approaching, but I hope that it's inspiring for you. In the growth group that I lead in my home, we've been studying 1 Corinthians This was Paul's letter to the troubled church in Corinth. And in the first six chapters, he refers quite often to himself, to Apollos, and to Peter, and and the work that they had establishing and growing the church there. But Paul refers to the work that he did in the beginning in establishing the church there, saying that he laid the foundation and others are building on it. And he emphasizes that no one then or even in our time, can lay any foundation other than what has been laid, and that foundation is Christ Jesus. And then he states to the church there and to us, each one should build with care. Now, this is where we come in, 
Building the church is done by the work that we do to strengthen and grow the church and care for one another. Our life and what we do in our lives on earth matters not because it's the only life we have, but precisely because it isn't. We will live forever. We will have a beginning of life that will continue without end. So I want us to look at what Paul says then about building on that foundation and bring out some things that we often overlook that are important for us to know and to understand. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 12 through 15. And Paul says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, The builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, these verses are packed with things that we need to know about the judgment. First of all, everyone will give an account and will receive some compensation from God based on the works that he has done in this life. It says each one will receive The things done in the body, these are the things that we did while we were alive here on earth. And this judgment that he's talking about of trying the works and so on takes place in heaven after we die, after the Lord comes back, when we're with him. And the first purpose of the judgment is to reveal the value of our works. And the second purpose is to test our works. Now understand, at this point, your beliefs aren't being tested nor is your destination in eternity being decided. It's already been decided by that point. This is part of the judgment that Christians will face. Paul said it another way in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter in verse 10, saying, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now that can sound scary, except that in the original Greek New Testament scriptures, there are two Greek words for judgment. There is a judgment to determine punishment. And there is also a word for judgment that is to determine rewards. Now, the fire that Paul talked about is, to, is a metaphor for judgment that will test the quality of each person's work. Now, what we need to understand here, this judgment word for judgment applies uh, for rewards applies to Christians. It's not a judgment for punishment. This is judgment for rewards. But so this metaphor is to do several different things. But who's going to be our judge at that point? Jesus said, it's going to be him. Because Jesus said, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son that all who honor the son Uh, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And Jesus is the one who understands from heaven's perspective, but also knows what it feels like to live in the heat and the dust and the discouragement of everyday life here. He was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. 
Now, why this judgment and test of our works by fire? Well, I want us to picture something here. This was important to the Corinthian church too. There are several different types of followers of Jesus. There are some who are leaders in the church. There are some who are just tradesmen. There are some who are business people. Some are secretaries. On and on, all different kinds of vocation. But they're all living and serving Christ. And then you have the question then that comes out, what kind of reward will be given to each one? Who will get the greater rewards? And the fact is that we can't possibly know this side of heaven. And only Christ will know what any person's work for him is worth. And that's why Paul instructed the Corinthian Christians who were concerned about their status and their popularity to judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. The judgment belongs to him and he will evaluate it and determine their rewards. So what's the fire going to test? All right, it's going to test what works we did, but how we did them, and why we did those works. So what is a good work that we're talking about? A good work is any act you do for someone that meets a need and honors God. And there are so many kinds of acts of love that honor God. I think maybe what we're doing is more of an eternal value than we may realize. But there is another important aspect of how we did our works. Let me go back one. We talked about what they are. Let's talk about how the works are. How we did those works relate to our attitude. Our attitude. Wow. Maybe our heart wasn't in it. Maybe love wasn't the motivation. And there was no real joy. We felt like we had to do it and resented doing it. Oh, good behavior always starts in the heart. So that will come to light about the things that we have done. But there's another more important aspect of how we did the works that we do. And it's not about our performance. It's not about our talent or our abilities. The question is, was it done in partnership with Jesus? Jesus said that we must abide in him. And he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And without his guidance and his power working in and through us, we could not even do one commendable work for him. We need to be in partnership with Jesus on all that we do. Then why? The why would relate to whether our motive was to be seen of men and gain praise for ourselves rather than God. And Jesus warned, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. But as wonderful as heaven is, why are we talking about rewards? Why should we be thinking about additional rewards besides just being there? It's hard to imagine needing or wanting more of anything than heaven itself, right? Wrong. If we're spending eternity with Jesus in heaven, why would we want or need anything more? Isn't heaven our reward? No, I don't want us to look at it that way. I want you to listen real closely. I've heard many people say, if I can just get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, that's all I want. And I can hear other people say, oh, just build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Really? 
In light of the awesome love of God and all that Jesus went through to take the punishment for our sins and give us new life here and eternal life with him in heaven, how unappreciative, how unloving, how selfish to only want to do enough just to make it into all that he has prepared for us. What we should be thinking about is making our works glorify him and make it abound for him. More and more, Jesus said, this is my Father's, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to me, my disciples. Well, is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise? Is he worthy? Yes, he is, more than worthy. But God still chooses to reward us because it's an expression of his love and his generous nature. His plan to reward like his his provision to save is a display of that amazing grace and love. He's a good, good father. Now, maybe you never thought much about God rewarding us, but... Consider what Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 6 says about our faith and about God. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This will be what God will be doing. Now, I know it's our nature to want and expect rewards in this life. And Satan tries to get us thinking like that, too. Not long ago, I was talking with a beloved brother who was so discouraged. He's one who loves and serves the Lord, and he has always tried to provide well for his family. But he just couldn't seem to get ahead of living from paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes that wasn't enough. And he prays and he looks to God to provide, but he's always struggling financially. And he said, it's just hard to understand why God doesn't reward his, his, his love and his service now in this life. Okay, it's kind of hard to understand from our perspective, but I want us to think about some other scriptures. When we read about the great examples of faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, It says this, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. The apostle Paul suffered greatly in his life, but he wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And working faithfully for him now will not always result in reward now, but it will result in reward for you in heaven. And I think we've overlooked many scriptures that speak of rewards for faithfulness that will be given to us in heaven. Let me share a few. Luke 6, 23, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. 
In Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 13 through 14, he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, verse 29, Jesus said, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. There are rewards. But the primary purpose of the judgment for Christians is not for loss. It's for gain. We're not saved by our works. We need to understand that. But our works that are done in faith and loving service after we've been saved will be rewarded by God. And God's plan is for us to enjoy and make good use of our rewards for the rest of eternity. We focus so much on just getting to heaven. Did you think about what we're going to do when we get there? We don't know all the details yet, but the rewards we receive in heaven will determine a lot about what we will actually do there for eternity. Now, that's a sermon for another time. But I think it will be tied to something that all of us who love the Lord will desperately want to do. Serve and serve our Lord. We've we've lovingly lived as servants. We have served as stewards in heaven. As it is here on earth, we will desperately want to serve. And as stewards, we've been charged with managing something important for our master while he's been away for an extended period. And we are commissioned as stewards to manage his assets and our lives in such a way that we increase his kingdom. Now, Jesus' best-known parables about stewardship are the parable of the mina and the parable of the talents. And both parables talk about the responsibilities that are given to his servants. Now, part of the master's wealth was given to them, entrusted to them to accomplish their responsibilities, and then a call for accounting of their stewardship, and then rewards given to the faithful when the master returns. Now, I won't read the parable, but I want you to read the whole parable when you get home. For now, I want to focus on what is said when the servants give their accounting. The first servant reports a tenfold increase for his investment of the one mina that he received. And the master responds, well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. The second service reports a five-fold return, and the master gives him an exactly proportionate reward. You take charge of five cities. But notice what the master doesn't say to him. He doesn't say, well done. He doesn't say, good servant, or even because you were faithful in very little. The lesser level of commendation shows that the master knew that the servant could have done more to multiply the mina that he was given. The third servant simply returns the mina he was given, explaining he kept the money safely at home, didn't do anything with it. Imagine his shame when his master calls him a wicked servant and then takes his one mina and gives it to the servant who already has 10. Now, what can we learn from this parable? First, 
God expects us to take the resources that he gives our lives, the guidance of his Holy Spirit, his word, his power, and then greatly multiply them for his kingdom. Second, God wants God will reward our work for him, but it will be in direct proportion to how much we have multiplied our life for him. And his response will have a major and eternal impact on our future in heaven. Thirdly, if we do not use what God has placed in our care for him, we will suffer loss. Loss of the potential reward that we could have earned and the loss of opportunity to serve God more fully in eternity. We need to be asking ourselves questions about our stewardship. We all may be prone to think, well, I I don't have many talents or opportunities, or uh, how can I bring God much in return for, for my life and what he's done for me? Well, there is an encouraging answer from Jesus for us in the parable of the talents. Again, three stewards are each given different amounts of money to each, listen, according to his own ability. The two servants double what they have been given. And when the master returns, he gives the same commendation and the same reward to both. Why? Because a servant's reward is based on total results in light of their potential. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And in the same way, Jesus will reward you and me on the basis of what each of us did with the spiritual resources that he has given us. Now, every disciple, understand, every disciple has the same opportunity for productivity for Christ and the same opportunity for reward later. And I still think we're we're prone sometimes to think of ourselves from a worldly standpoint, comparing ourselves with others who seem to be more gifted, and we underestimate what God can do and through us if we just give him our all of who we are. How many of you have heard of Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata? Read that? For those of you who haven't, he broke his neck, or she broke his, her neck in a diving accident and was paralyzed from the waist down. She couldn't dress herself. She couldn't feed herself. She was confined to a wheelchair. What value is she to the kingdom? How could God judge her? But if you read the rest of the story about Joni's life, she learned how to paint with the paintbrush held in her tooth, and the, the paintings were beautiful. Wasn't kindergarten art? It was beautiful. She authored books. She recorded albums of songs with her singing. She became an inspirational speaker and she goes to talk with people about use what God has given you for his glory. You have much more than I do. There's another man that just really astounds me. His name is Nick and I can't pronounce his last name. He's an Australian fellow, but he has no arms or no legs. He is just basically a stump. What good could he be? But he can do all sorts of things. He can go upstairs. He, he, he does all. He's now a, a husband. He's a father. 
And he travels around as an inspirational speaker, likes to go to high schools and telling them, you have so much potential that you can use. Now, if those, Johnny and, and, and Nick can use their, what God has given them, what are we holding back on? Because the scripture says that he is able to do amazingly more than all we consider according to the power that is at work within us. You see, doing is a servant's language of devotion. And brothers and sisters, may we never allow ourselves to think faithfully serving God as merely not sinning too much or just maintaining the status quo or just not quitting, just going on even though it's hard and I'm not really happy. True faithfulness as a steward is much closer to extraordinary accomplishments. Let's not waste another day living for less. Our opportunity is now. Serve him faithfully here on earth and live to hear Jesus say to you, well done. And you will be rewarded wonderfully, fully, perfectly, prepared to do what you will lovingly crave to do in heaven, and that is to serve the one who made heaven possible for you. And it's my prayer that God will use this message to continue to bring about change in all of us. But how are we going to get that change started? Is there anything more that we could do now that we're not doing? We're nearing the return of our king. It's time that we start living and serving with eternity in mind. Now, we Christians are people of faith, and we've committed our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ And we look forward to all that God has prepared for us. So we're just like Abraham, who when called to go to a place he would later receive, obeyed and went. It says, by faith he lived like a stranger in a foreign country. Felt that before, haven't you? For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And then in 11, Hebrews 11, chapter, verses 13 through 16, says, Abraham and all the great examples of faith were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own, Scripture says if they'd been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, this amazes me. This was centuries before Christ came into our world with further revelation about salvation in heaven. But somehow these people in the old covenant were looking forward to God rewarding them with life in a heavenly country that he was going to provide. We have the benefit and the blessing of living after God's final revelation through Jesus Christ. The revelation of the new covenant brought about by Christ's sacrificial death, the resurrection, the gospel, and his return to take us home. Much more is expected of us. 
And it's time we start living and serving with eternity in mind. Now, near the end of my first year at Johnson Bible College, we got our yearbooks. And you know the custom. You take your yearbooks and you give it to certain people and they sign it and you hope they'll write something complimentary about you. And so I gave my yearbook to a man named Gene Bagley. He was an upperclassman that I respected. And when I got the yearbook back, yes, I was anxious to see what he'd written about me. It was very simple. He said, David, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Gene. Well, I, I was, uh, I thought, wow, what a great guide for life. I, I memorized those verses, and God has used those verses numerous times in my life to get me back on track or to keep me on track. But here's what it said. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above. I decided to look at the Greek word for what is translated as set in the phrases, set your heart and mind. The Greek verb is zeteo, and it denotes dedicating oneself to seek, to search, or to give oneself to a quest. And it's the same verb that was used to describe how the Son of Man came with his heart and mind set to seek and save that which is lost. The same verb that was used to describe how a shepherd set his heart to search for his lost sheep. It's the same verb that was used uh, how a woman would uh, set her mind to search for that valuable lost coin or the merchant set his heart and mind to search for a valuable pearl. This verb is in the imperative form, the command. So it is to be an intentional, diligent, active, single-minded quest. The heart and mind are set on heaven, not on things of the earth. And there's no half-heartedness. No abandoning the quest for something else. No giving up until the quest is completed. We set our heart and mind to love and serve the one who died for us and being with him for eternity. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next keeping your minds and heart set on things above. Live and serve with eternity in mind, and it will create a longing in you that this world just cannot satisfy. And so C.S. Lewis had another quote. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And we are. Let's live looking forward to that, preparing for that, giving ourselves, setting our mind, our hearts, everything to glorify the Lord as much as we can with our whole life and everything that he's given us to serve him. That's my challenge for you today. 
I think in your bulletin insert, you have a thing, I will. Would you fill that out? How are you going to set your mind and your heart? What's going to be different for you? You know, will you take time, more time each day to think about eternity? Are you ready? Are you serving like you want to for the one that you love? It's up to you. The invitation is always open to anyone who would like to place their membership with our congregation. It's also open to anyone who would like to give their life to Christ. We invite you, whatever decision you would like to make and share publicly, would you come as we stand and sing?